Welcome to this episode of the New Space India podcast, a bi-weekly talk show that exclusively talks about India's space activities. When you look at the landscape of successful space businesses, you will see that one of the key features of that landscape is actually having a excellent space policy or a legislative framework that helps doing business in space. For the last 60 years, although we in India have an extremely good space program which is government driven, we do not have a landscape for space policy or legislation that centrally focuses on putting the interest of space industry into its core focus. However, with the emergence of many of the new space players today, there is indeed a need for such an instrument to come up. My guest today in this episode of the New Space India podcast is Deepika Jayakodi. Deepika is a commercial contracts and bid manager at Airbus Defence and Space in the Netherlands. Before she moved to the Netherlands, she was a practicing lawyer in India with 5 years of legal experience. The number of lawyers in India who have a core background in law and understand the space policy or space law landscape is a very small subset. And Deepika is one of those people. Post her legal education at the undergraduate level, she's pursued a master's in space law in the Leiden University in the Netherlands. In this episode, we talk about in this episode we talk about her journey of coming to be a space lawyer and her insights of having worked in the commercial space industry, her opinion and the critique of the draft space bill put together in India. Deepika, welcome to this episode of the New Space India podcast. Thank you so much for taking time on a weekend to speaking to me. Thank you Narayan. Let's actually begin with uh, talking about how you actually got into space and uh, you know how did you get fascinated about space and building a career in space related activities. Okay, I think my fascination for space it's uh, the the story behind that is not too novel. It comes from when I was a child when we are looking at cartoons and uh, videos and books. that you're fascinated about uh, rockets and wanting to be an astronaut and things like that and at a certain stage when i was in school i was really interested in uh, astrophysics that was the line that i wanted to pursue one of my teachers went to great lengths to get the students in my class uh, be really inspired about everything in space so i think that instilled a strong uh, root within myself and the next part of transition came when i was at a stage where i had to pick which group i choose in school at that point i decided that i wanted to do law but i was still thinking back on yeah all the aspirations i have had towards doing something in the field of uh, science or uh, engineering and i remember reading a book called pocket law which spoke about air and space law which was completely new i mean law uh, as a field uh, of study itself was new for me and uh, i thought hey if there's uh, something to do with uh, aviation and space uh, uh, maybe i could also become a space lawyer at some point so this was the let's say uh, the time when a stage was set for me uh, and then i did go on to do law i completely forgot about aviation and space law i was practicing in uh, India for about 5 years at which point during uh, a dinner with uh, with a few senior advocates and judges i heard from someone that i should think about uh, doing a masters in uh, space law uh, at the Leiden University i had absolutely no idea where this place was but i ended up applying i ended up getting a seat here 
and uh, that's how my career in uh, space began so you said uh, you had read this uh, you know pocket dictionary or something regarding air and space law so uh, at what age or what time was it really i think this was when i was in my 10th grade so it was a book that my dad uh, brought back from his uh, uh, from his work uh, he borrowed it for a few days and it was just talking about law in general and what different fields of uh, law people study or practice in and there was this very small section that i i vividly remember it was about aviation and space and it spoke about the outer space treaty uh, for me out of the uh, whole book this seemed to be super fascinating because everything else was something that was quite familiar it was about banking it was about real estates it was about crimes and i think somewhere in my mind i thought yeah this sounds interesting i i could be a space lawyer at some point but then i i don't think once i started studying law i ever went back to the thought that i should pursue space law so there was a huge gap between uh, when i made the decision and when i came back to do a masters in space law so the five years that you practiced uh, law when you graduated then you actually were not really thinking about doing space law on a day to day basis i just stumbled you just stumbled upon it once uh, you know you were talking to some of your colleagues then yes i think in retrospect if i think about it international law was one of my favorite subjects uh, at the university so my first masters was again at the madras university was on international law and indian constitutional law so there my interests were still more to do with cyberspace uh, let's say uh, the, the laws of war the laws of sea and these were the topics that space law completely fell off my uh, let's say my memory and uh, it wasn't until until this this person told me hey you should consider doing space law and then i thought oh this is uh, something i i did want to do uh, way back but then i didn't take it too seriously so it was uh, it it is only in retrospect that i think that okay everything uh, every choice that i made somehow led me towards uh, this path yeah when you were studying law i guess not many people would have uh, thought about uh, space law even maybe in universities in india there's not many universities in india who really talk about space as a you know subject in law in itself right that's true it's it's not a commonly spoken subject but i think while i was doing my bachelor's that was also the time where uh, quite a few blogs were coming up indian blogs on international law and you would see see references to space law here and there but it's not something that you can pick up and uh, start working on and it was probably me or it was probably just the the way things were but it wasn't a serious topic of uh, discussion even under international law so i mean unless a person is really interested i don't think it was a natural course that uh, back then people could pick and quite a lot has changed since when i did bachelor's to now where you have space law components incorporated into either international law courses or even uh, masters programs on space law so it has changed quite a bit since back then so maybe it's a good uh, opportunity now to speak about general perspective of what actually is space law and how it really has an imp- implications for countries okay so space law has is is not new uh, i think that's one of the first myths that need to be broken 
quite a lot of people have uh, quite a lot of academics back then have written about aviation and uh, space law which i assume sounded like pieces of pure fiction the more uh, concrete uh, laws or the stepping stone towards what is uh, today known as the outer space treaty is a product of the cold war when both uh, the us and russia were were planning on uh, doing several activities or starting with activities in space and the international community saw that we need to take take steps towards preventing an arms race in space so this was the this was the goal that they didn't want to repeat the mistakes made terrestrially in space too so this gave birth to the uh, outer space treaty as we know it today and you see that from 1967 uh, when it uh, when it came into force until now it has uh, withstood the test of time so the outer space treaty in in general terms it speaks about what you can and cannot do in space and it predominantly dealt with uh, what states or or countries can and cannot do in space today of course by natural uh, extension this uh, also extends to companies and 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 uh, people representing these companies in space so the outer space treaty it talks about the freedoms in space so the freedom to to use and to explore uh, outer space to use it for scientific uh, missions and so on and uh, to balance that what sort of responsibilities you need to take into account when you exercise these freedoms so uh, the responsibility of the states uh, to exercise jurisdiction and control over uh, let's say organizations and people that perform these space activities uh, who is liable for what in space what sort of liabilities come into force how do you register objects that are put into space so there's a whole range of things and at the essence of it Uh, all is the peaceful use of outer space uh, there's a lot of debate on uh, what exactly is peaceful use how do we extend international cooperation in space and so on but essentially all the debates all these discussions are based on the principles that were set in the outer space treaty from 1967 and uh, can you like uh, elaborate a bit about how actually india has been participating in the international space law realm starting from uh, you know the early 60s uh, when space activities really started to kick off i would say india has been uh, quite a strong proponent from the beginning so if you look at the travel preparatoire uh, forgive my french but then the preparatory works um, that went uh, towards building the outer space treaty you do see quite a lot of involvement from the indian side on how they uh, how they work with the international community on how these principles are rounded off so india has indeed been an active member in in uh, in shaping these laws and playing a part uh, with the big space powers as you could call them since the beginning so apart from being actively involved with the uh, shaping of the outer space treaty uh, playing a part in the uh, un corpus which is the committee the un committee on the peaceful use of outer space india has also played a part in shaping the moon agreement or the moon treaty as we commonly know India is one of the few signatories of the Moon Treaty which is highly debated uh, at this point of time 
which would probably uh, bring bring in a new level of discussions now that we are moving from an exploratory stage to an explo- uh, exploitative state of the outer space. So I would say India's presence in the shaping of space laws has been quite strong. What I am really looking forward to, though, is the uh, Indian national space legislation, which will then put us on a map with the un- other countries that have that have incorporated international laws within the national spheres as well. Did you have any, you know, guides who were from India, did space law and were practicing abroad or what kind of career opportunities were there for you? Um, I must say that uh, when I did make the choice, I was quite ignorant about what was happening within the space law field uh, in India itself. So it was not until I got to Leiden that I knew that there were people that were actively involved uh, in space law. So some of the people that uh, that I think the New Space India community already knows, Mrs. Uh, Ranjana Kaul, Dr. Sridharamurthy, these were people that I met only after going to Leiden. And I think in a way it was... It was very uh, heartening to know that these people had already made the big steps, at least in the field of law and policy. And it was always nice to read their works, their uh, opinions in in, uh, different papers or articles or even uh, blogs that were upcoming then. And I think the first impressions from the Indian space law community was quite indirect but very positive to know that uh, there were these people that uh, that I could go back to and uh, talk to about things, have them uh, mentor me and so on. And it wasn't until 2015 IAC that I had the chance to meet some of them in person. And I think there we... Uh, there we started talking about yeah uh, about having a career opportunity uh, in space law what sort of things need to be done and i think although it was uh, it was uh, limited in time they gave me quite some valuable feedback it it was a bit funny that they all said you you need to stay abroad for a few more years before you come back to india because i was quite eager to uh, go back and start working on something space, but I don't think we were there yet, or at least for a young space lawyer, we didn't have the ecosystem yet to support things. And the advice that I did take from them was to really dive headfirst into how space industry works, how legislations, policies are shaped in what we consider a more developed space community and then bring those lessons back to India at some point. And I think I, I have I have these uh, things at the back of my head, uh, even as I'm pursuing my uh, career in uh, Europe. And someday I hope to bring, uh, bring back the lessons that I've learned to the Indian uh, space ecosystem. Uh, when you said that the ecosystem is actually not there in India and you were advised to stay in Europe, What does that really mean? I mean, what forms a part of a space law ecosystem and how is that matured here in Europe versus, you know, not being present in India? I think as far as the space law community goes, even at a global extent, it's quite small. And when you have to localize that to to an Indian uh, setting, it's even smaller. As far as I know, I would say there are probably less than uh, 20 people that I know who are actively 
uh, involved or who participated in something related to space law every on on a daily basis or on on an annual basis and i think what these mentors from the indian community they said then was things are just starting up so it wasn't a pessimistic view it was it was just that things are just starting up the basis uh, the basis being set and we will need uh, more of space lawyers or people who are familiar with uh, with the policy and the legal context to come back at the near future and i think what didn't exist at that point of time was that if you talk about space law say at courts and things it wasn't something that is that is easily perceived by people uh it's not seen as a serious field of uh, study or practice and i think uh, also within the space community it has only been in the recent years that uh, isro is going out to support the space industry as well to to accommodate more of these private players so so i feel like now is when the ecosystem is be, is is growing so it's moved from a crawling stage to let's say stumbled walking stage where there is enough uh, room for uh, space lawyers to work in um, and i think uh, one of the first things that i was really happy about was when the draft uh space legislation uh came out there were uh quite a few let's say uh alumni from the leiden law university itself uh who are in different parts of india who are in different parts of uh, europe and the us now who came together to provide a consolidated uh commentary on the draft and i think uh that's the kind of uh ecosystem that you need to have all these people who are now working elsewhere to come back into the country to support to support the let's say the legal uh, system for space activities as well so that that wasn't there yet 5 years ago when uh, when you look at uh, india and isro you talked about uh, isro's participation in uh, you know drafting of the international space uh, laws and you know contribution to international space treaties did you have a chance to know anybody who is a part of the system uh, a part of the government of india a part of isro who are uh, contributing to the space law effort or how does it actually work uh, with isro does isro have space lawyers i haven't had a uh, first hand experience with space lawyers from india i think that's that's a bit disappointing i don't know if it's personally from my side or if it's within the community itself the space lawyers that i've met i've usually met within the context of conferences external discussions and these are usually at an international fora i do know uh, a few lawyers who are supporting the say isro with their contracts and things but again as i said we are not yet at a stage where we are that mature that there's enough let's say meat for uh, space lawyers to work with and it's it's also not uh, easy and open i would say within the international forum to to meet people uh, within the indian space law community the uh, international institute for space law uh, is a great place to meet uh, most of them but apart from that the people who are actually working with isro on the closest basis on who determines uh, the policies or who determines what sort of uh, procurement rules are put out these are quite challenging to come by and i think even in terms of the draft space bill the access that i had towards it was just as uh, any other public would have 
I don't think I had any insider information on how this was being drafted, uh, who were the parties who were involved, or how the feedback that a lot a lot of people uh, from the community, from the space community that we know, who who is handling this feedback and what are they going to do with it. I think there's there's a lot to be done there still from the Indian side. So you talked about uh, how you know how all of these uh, activities for the draft uh, space legislation is is done. Can you give us a comparison of uh, you know how a, a third country, an external country, uh, let's say here in Europe, would actually do this in comparison to the to how it was done in India? Uh, sure. Um, I think if we take things from the context of uh, ESA and how ESA involves, let's say, the external uh, factors to play a role in how they determine their uh, rules and policies and regulations, it's quite different from the Indian setting now. ESA does uh, take into account its different stakeholders, whether it's the industry the academia or the uh, technical field, they do involve multiple stakeholders in how they shape their standards of practices, uh, their regulations and so on. So let's take, for example, in my day-to-day work, um, I would have to work with ESA's general terms and conditions or uh, specialized uh, conditions for uh, study proposals like artists and so on. And you do see that uh, the agency is quite receptive to the feedback from the industry. They take a consolidated view from these different stakeholders. They try to reach a point where they can accommodate uh, the interests of the different stakeholders, but also within the limits set by the agency itself. Of course, if you speak to the community here, they would say that there's a lot to be desired from that too. But I, I think... There, there are lessons to be learned for us as well. We don't have to, uh, within the Indian space community, we don't have to uh, deal with things from scratch. There are a lot of lessons already learned that, that we can apply within the setting. And I think in terms of the space community we have, we have extremely sharp people who can share this knowledge uh, if only they are uh, consulted. So I, I would say there is... A lot of room for improvement, provided they take in the stakeholders within the Indian uh, Indian space community and give them an opportunity to actively play a role in how we develop this ecosystem together. When you actually said about uh, stakeholder involvement, you know, it's a very broad term, stakeholder involvement. So it would actually be quite good to talk about what does stakeholder involvement mean and how does it actually, you know, mature in terms of practice. So stakeholders practice doesn't mean that uh, people are just invited for open discussions or, you know, there's a set date and there's a certain number of people invited and how does it actually work? I would say there are different different frameworks or settings that are applied for the different needs. For, for, for example, if we think about uh, how the uh, Dutch national space legislation was uh, shaped, there is a small uh, satellite company uh, that was struggling a bit with the way, with the whole concept of jurisdiction and control, uh, the state supervision, the licensing mechanism for small satellites. And over there, you could see that the academics from Leiden University were working with the industry here and with the National Space Office to define, okay, 
what what is really uh, stopping this company from feeling secure what, what does the law need to do in order to accommodate their interests but also safeguard the interests of the netherlands as 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 a signatory to the outer space treaty and i think in this context the stakeholder was the uh, company itself but then they were supported by the space office by the academics to come up with uh, a more accommodative law which which in a way strengthens their business it it doesn't put things in an ambiguous format it gives them the certainty that they need and this this was uh, this was an example of stakeholder invol- involvement for for the national space legislation for for changing for changing it for let's say more uh, business uh, business accommodative or business conducive uh, environments and i think isa also does that in uh, in different scales you have the ministerial conferences you have uh, for example this uh, isa space debris offices has these uh, different panels when they have to think about okay how do we technically deal with the problem of debris and on another side they would also have discussions with with the legal community on okay what sort of uh, checks and balances do we have to put in place in case this technology is adopted so there are different methods and i think uh, it starts with identifying okay who are the stakeholders that that will be most affected or who are the uh, stakeholders that will have uh, the most say critical but constructive inputs towards uh, shaping something as well you talked about how this company in the netherlands was uh, helped by leiden university to then interface with the government and uh, you know help create a legislative framework or even a, a national space policy that could be conducive for them to grow but uh, when you think about india you know you talked about how there's a lack of uh, people who are really into practicing space law and do you now see actually a lot of uh, entrepreneurs that are upcoming and are trying to do their own satellites there's even uh, you know a company that's that's flown a couple of satellites of their own as private satellites now uh, given that uh, you know we in india don't have a critical mass of uh, space lawyers or institutions that are involved in space law you know you do you see that as a barrier to growth i see that more as an opportunity i think we do have we do have enough space lawyers we do have very strong uh, let's say uh legal faculties in india that practice international law a natural extension is of course to to also take into account uh space law so it's uh it's only a matter of when things will start moving rather than will they start moving or not i see the coming few years as the years during which there will be a lot of consolidation of uh who does what where are centers of excellence in terms of academics where are centers of competencies in terms of dealing with uh, the different challenges uh, that space activities can throw up and how the legal community can support the ecosystem that's growing so if you talk about the the whether they are startups or medium or large uh, companies that are coming forth in india that will be heading uh, making spaceway there is a lot of work that the lawyers can uh, take up uh, let me just interrupt you there for india to get to a level where uh, a company like you know for india for indians or indian startups to get to a level where you see this phenomena that you talked about a dutch company being supported how will that uh, evolve and what should what is necessary for that to uh, to happen 
and the process of it um i think for such an environment to to support the business we need to begin with having open channels to isro to antrix and to the department of space and i think it starts with that because as i said before it is it's not entirely transparent uh, how these policies uh, regulations uh, or mechanisms are set up and when you are involving these private stakeholders there is a sense of certainty and uh, business con- conduciveness that needs to come with that and by opening up challenges by uh, sorry uh, by opening up channels by identifying who the points of contact are or who who the groups of people are who can support the industry or who can support with let's say even even the most mundane things like like contracting or picking up supply chain how do you do deal with procurement policies and so on there needs to be open channels there needs to be a transparency about who we work with within the indian space community i think it needs to begin with that and the next step should be about uh, openness the the whole point of having the space ecosystem support each other is that there is a give and take and if we continue to act in a way that isro is the prime and everybody else is only seen as a supplier that's that's not possible or that's that's not enough to get the private industry up and running so there should be let's say an environment where these voices are heard and there's enough support also from the government towards enabling these uh, these industries so let's say you want to have access or you need information about certain technologies or or let's say even certain um, standards and policies from a european or from a us entity the government can support you through this in its capacity i i don't know how far this is being done but but there there need to be organizations and groups that need to push these forward it doesn't matter if it comes uh, comes as a government industry space council or whether these are a single window system through which you can uh, access everything from licensing to uh, post operational uh, support facilities and what not but i would see that it has to be channels transparency and giving equal voices to the other players in the ecosystem you talked about uh, the space activities draft bill and uh, the critique or a feedback that you guys put together with uh, the lidar and alumni group can you give a brief uh, summary of what is your reading of the space activities uh, draft bill and uh, your response to that i would say that we got off on the right foot by wanting to enact a national space legislation but the biggest disappointment for me came from the fact that this was seen as a move again from let's say top down so this came from the government and it didn't feel like they took into account the needs of the private industry a lot of the people uh, in india who are working with these different startups or organizations i would say they they do not have the backing of large uh, space companies or uh, or other large entities and in a way if if we need to see india as a large superpower space power uh, where everybody has a certain role allocated to them their needs have to be met as well and what i saw that was lacking in the space activities bill 
was that it was it had a lot of obligations on the private industry so one of the key uh, points that i noted was on the liability provision this was too heavy to be uh, placed on the shoulders of private industry just at a time when they are kickstarting activities in india so if you look at france within their national space legislation they have certain limits that they have set on okay to what extent is is uh, a private entity liable uh, to what extent uh, do they have to have uh, let's say insurance for activities that they have and the rest is somehow apportioned to the state itself these mechanisms uh, within the space activities bill were were missing and uh, also the f- the whole part about uh, setting up procedures on licensing there was a lot of ambiguity on uh, what exactly is a space activity what are the commercial activities and how are these licensing mechanisms going to be set out so let's say a company that's going to run a downstream service do they have to have the same licensing set up as somebody who who might someday launch a satellite i think there were uh, questions like these that that could have been uh, addressed in far more depth within the space activities bill and uh, india being let's say one of the space leaders they could have gone a step further to implement rules that are not yet discussed or not yet adopted entirely by the larger space community like how do they tackle debris and so on so it was it was a bit of a disappointment for, for some of the space lawyers the way it came out but at the same time we do see a lot of opportunity what i would really hope for there is that the comments or the feedback from the indian space community and also those uh, those of those indians who are abroad that these are taken into account uh, in the next stages that they possibly start by having a stakeholder discussion on on what else is needed what else is required from the space activities bill before they put it uh, out again when you look at the day to day activities of a launch company or even a satellite making company you know for a launch company or a launch startup like skyroot who i also talked to they talked about you know getting access to launch pads uh, and for satellite making companies they were talking about how do i get access to the frequencies you know how do i export some of the products that i'm building so these are the routine activities uh, and you know none of these actually feature as a part of the space activities bill do normally these kinds of activities uh, feature as a as a part of legislation or how is it actually being done i think there are different different ways in this can be done one is that it can be incorporated within the national space legislation itself another supportive uh, mechanism would be to deal with the national space legislation as a framework that sets all the let's say the skeletal provisions and then have policies and uh, regulations supported so let's say let's say the space activity bill talks about uh, private launches they can set up the stage on okay what sort of insurance requirements have to be met who bears the liability what are the criteria based on which the license uh, will be given what happens when a license is terminated and so on and in addition to having these in the bills they could have security standards they could have uh, safety standards and all these set as within within let's say policy documents that follow the bill itself 
so it really depends on how they deal with it and there there is no there's no way of saying that one is better than the other it 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 depends on uh, let's say the business and the cultural context of uh, of the space industry uh, and the ecosystem that we work in as well in general if you look at the global context there are some countries who have every detail set out in in the national space legislation itself again going back to the french example because they are uh, the launch service providers with ariane space you you do see that they deal more extensively with uh, launch activities whereas in a different country if they are more into let's say the downstream service sector they have more let's say they have more principles on the remote sensing part of it so i think in india as well we we have to take into account okay what where do we see the biggest needs and if they are not clear at this stage or if we think it's too early to put everything in detail within the bill that we start with a framework that the boundaries are set and we make it uh, dynamic by adding policies and regulations that follow the bill at later stages or at times of maturity can you give us a sense of uh, what is the timeline like for uh, some sort of uh, you know space law to mature uh, to an extent where it goes from starting of the process to actually being legislated and you know trickling down to the industry towards you know the fruits of that effort helping the industry kick off ooh that's a tough question i think it it depends on how we work with it i would say i would say the time to create a law is is right now uh, there there is a sense of urgency not just because we have we have these young private players coming in but also because we need to identify identify ourselves as a responsible uh, space power so just last year and this year with swarm technologies the way they launched their uh, pico satellites without regulatory uh, approval uh, neither from the sec nor from india and yeah dealing with this as a, a oops uh, we don't know how that happened that cannot happen anymore so there is a sense of urgency for the law I think with what we have now as a draft bill if there is a dedicated stakeholder in- involvement a really keen sense of having to do this or, or bring out a law within the shortest frame of time it is doable within a year it is entirely possible it it could be wishful thinking in in some people's uh, perspectives but still i think that is doable and it has to be a continuing effect or a continuing effort in the sense that the government needs to work closely with the academia and the industry to see what sort of gaps already exist what can be filled in at this stage and what do we need to set frameworks for that can be accommodated in the next few years in my opinion i think within the indian space industry the private sector a lot can happen within the next 5 years and if the stakeholder involvement that i spoke about if that is done let's say trickling down the principles the regulations to the industry to their supply chains and so on will not be so challenging 
and another thing that has to go with it is uh, of course uh, doing a lot of uh, outreach or creating public awareness about what is done from uh, from a legal perspective i would say that the indian legal community we are rich in terms of uh, legal luminaries and academics they don't necessarily have to all be from space law but then they carry with them a lot of let's say rich wisdom from from experience from from studying and so on about how these laws for the future can be made and i think it is about time that we tap into that and uh, in terms of a time frame i would say within 2 years we could have something set up we could have the private industry up and running in a non ambiguous certain space activity conducive business environment does uh, the lack of having a space legislative environment or a policy environment for uh, some of these startups uh, in your opinion you know affect their fundraising affect uh, international sentiment in terms of investor confidence um i would say yes and no because you you probably uh, know more about this narayan but again from a legal perspective i would see that there are some risks if there are there is no law or if there is no certainty on how a certain uh, stimulus will will have a certain response uh, from the government so i would say that if there is a law that tells in black and white that this is how things are done uh these are the boundaries within which the industry is allowed to play uh this is the sort of support they will get in a way it will improve business sentiments as well and with that the investors let's say if you're looking for investors within india or abroad uh it makes things much easier if there is certainty now it's not like it's not like there is a wild west right now but then things can go any which ways uh let's assume there are heavy burdens in terms of uh, a licensing mechanism that uh, the government puts in uh, or heavy penalties for a breach of uh, one of the license conditions i think that is definitely a risk that the investors will take into account and for now the way it is there is no certainty on which uh, which side the balance can tip so if these are clarified it will add a lot of strength uh, for the uh, industry one of the challenges in india when you look at the structure of the department of space is that um, chairman of isro is also the secretary of the department of space and he is also the the chairman of the space commission so it's uh, the reporting structure i guess was made very simple during the time of the beginning of the space program so that you know vikram sarabhai had total control of the entire space program that way and uh, to this day that uh, reporting structure has not been changed and you know like now the same person is the boss of the person and uh, he is also the boss of the person so it's like triple level boss being the same person right this uh, really brings the you know question of conflict of interest in terms of uh, the ability of uh, isro and the department of space to actually make regulations that uh, that brings together a neutral playground for all stakeholders to be involved so given that this is the you know challenge for a, a good set of space uh, legislation and policies to you know get out of india what would be your uh, you know prescription to solve some of these things um i may be repeating a few things that i mentioned already so this again goes back to the point about stakeholder involvement 
And for me, what is really uh, missing right now is that you have legal space, legal advisors for the Department of Space. Some of the names that I mentioned earlier, Dr. Ranjana Kaul uh, and, 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 and many others, these people have a whole lot of knowledge about how things uh, work in the international context. And I think they need to be involved in the process of lawmaking. So it can't be left to just drafters who have no context about how how space legislations work in practice, how different countries uh, deal with different issues in different ways. And I think the first stakeholder, as I would say, is involving the space lawyers in actively in the lawmaking uh, part. And the second uh, party or the second group of stakeholders that need to be involved are the industry, the, the nascent industry and the technicians. It's, it's, it's very anybody who reads the space activities bill right now can see that it is a product of the government. Uh, it doesn't seem like any of these stakeholders were involved. It doesn't seem like uh, even if they were involved, any of their interests were reflected in the right way. That cannot be the case if we need to go ahead and if we need to find our own position in the space community. So for me, the prescription is again to have stakeholder involvement, to to give enough validity for their voices, because we are no more in a stage where things will be run only by the government. That's my prescription. When do you think somebody like you uh, would see India as a mature or, you know, uh, we talked about already, uh, you know, India being an upcoming uh, scene for space uh, activities and because of the new actors coming in. But uh, when would you see as, uh, you know, for you personally, for example, it would make sense to, let's say, go back to India and contribute to the space law? Or do you see the, you know, that being abroad itself, people like you who are experienced in this field and are trying to do different things and have an international perspective can contribute back? So uh, how do you see the future panning out? Um, for me personally, I would really like to come back and work with the space industry in India. I think with the growth now, you see that with more and more companies coming up, I do see a lot of work that will be available, but not right now, in, in, in the near future. But I would say a level of maturity is reached again when ISRO sees this industry not just as a mere supplier uh, chain, that we are equals, we are sums of uh, a bigger whole. And then uh, when there is enough activity, when there are enough uh, interactions from ISRO, from its commercial arm antrics, from uh, uh, the industry, and how that feeds back to the government in terms of uh, shaping policies and regulations, I think that's when I would, I would see a role, not just for me, but also for the other uh, space lawyers. And I think that will come soon, but it's not there right now. Let's hope that, uh, you know, this, this thing matures and uh, let's just hope that, uh, you know, the future is bright and uh, all the stakeholders will be involved in all of these things. And uh, hopefully, you know, the uh, likes of uh, people like you can go back and start contributing. <laughs> Thank you, Narayan. Really looking forward to uh, that point of time. 
Deepika, thank you very much for taking a lot of the time during the weekend to speaking to me. I think uh, it's been a, a real pleasure uh, you know, knowing you and knowing about your work and uh, I wish you luck for the future. Thank you, Narayan. And it was great to be on your uh, podcast. I must say before I uh, bid bye that you're doing an amazing job with these podcasts and it is so nice to have uh, Indian voices being represented through, uh, through your platform. Thank you for staying until the end. If you have any comments or suggestions, please write to curator at newspaceindia.com. Please consider sharing this episode with any friends or family who may be interested in learning about India's space activities. If you would like to stay in touch with the New Space India community, please use the link in the description to join the New Space India Telegram group. Feel free to also suggest guests for any future episodes. A new episode of the New Space India podcast is released every other Friday. Do subscribe to the podcast using Apple, Google or any other podcasting platforms you may use. Thank you.